Hello and welcome to the Lifefulness Podcast. Uh, it is me, your host, Sanderson-Jones. Later on, we're going to be joined by James Croft, the epic co-host and our guest for today, Carlos Saba, who is one of my favourite people. He has been the leader of the Happy Startup School for eight years now, and it is an organisation that helps people make that transition into finding meaningful work. Uh, his story is amazing about how he got uh, into it from running his own successful digital agency. And so whether you're someone who's interested in these big trends of people going to find work, if you are interested in making that transition yourself, there's going to be so much in there. And uh, we're also going to get into how you know he uh, has become sort of more spiritual uh, in how he goes and explains like what it takes to be an entrepreneur. So look, I'm going to get out of the way very soon so that you can enjoy Carlos. It's worth mentioning if this is the sort of thing which you like, if you find stuff in this podcast that you want to discuss, if these issues seem urgent and meaningful to you, then check out the Lifefulness community uh, because we would love to have you as part of that. Here's Carlos. So, hey there, Carlos. How's it going, man? I'm very good, thank you. We are joined by Carlos Sabre. It's Sabre, is it Sabre? I've always got Sabre. Sabre. Sabre, yeah, gives me a bit of a post-traumatic stress of kids calling me Carlos Lightsaber or something stupid. Oh, no. We're like a minute in and we've already doled out some You've already triggered him. To one of our guests. The good thing is, the only way is up. And so, Carlos, we're going to get into uh, the Happy Startup community, your brilliant community of business hippies, uh, and your uh, amazing event, which has a fantastic MC, I've heard. It's amazing. Listeners, it's me. Uh, and uh, and uh, all the work you've done, because I think that you are one of the many people who are out in the world at the moment and who have sort of become accidental vicars and your work uh but like with a particular sort of lens looking into business and mind that i love you and i love your work so it's gonna i'm really excited uh the first question we always ask is what was the spiritual religious or uh, ethical philosophical uh meaningful uh background to your childhood oh christ uh well is that it, <laughs> <laughs> it is that that is it because i uh, i was uh, raised a roman catholic so um Basically, it's just guilt. More <laughs> yeah, and, just guilt all the way down. All the way. Guilt, hard work, and just hoping that I won't basically get a devil poking a stick up my butt when I die. <laughs> um, yeah, my... So, yeah, I, I, I was on the kind of the, the teaching side. Um, my father's Italian. My wife... Uh, my wife. <laughs> my mother is from the Philippines. Both wow. Catholics. So that is... You know, there was no other way for me to go as a child. Um, God was God was it, and it was about uh, good and bad, and going uh, going through the different sacraments. And for me, it was it was a lot about you know you, you need to be a good person and you need to 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 do unto others as you'd like to be done unto yourself. And so that was a lot of and going to Catholic school. I can remember going to, I used to go to non-Catholic school and have to go to Sunday classes in order to mm. catch up with the Catholics. Uh, and that was a pain in the butt after church. So thankfully my mom took me, to, got me into the local Catholic school, which meant I could just do all of that in school time rather than my, my free time. But I, I think my deeper spiritual stuff, I would say came from uh, space and, uh, <laughs> And there was a, I, as a kid, I used to have a poster on the side of my bed of uh, basically the whole universe. And it was one of these things where it That's started a big off, poster? Yeah. It was, um, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was scaled down. Oh, okay, it, was, okay. uh, it was a bit not, hard to see where I was size. in this whole thing. But <laughs> it was one of those things, a little square with uh, the earth uh, and the moon. And then that zoomed out to the solar system. Mm. And then that zoomed out to uh, the Milky Way. And then that zoomed out to the local cluster and then that local local super cluster. And basically in the end it's like, it's mm. massive. So there's that, that whole perception of like, I, I am, I am that. 
And then the other issue I had, which kind of was a bit of a spiritual awakening, was a um, time. And I used to think of time uh, in terms of TV. I thought my life was like a TV <laughs> episode. Uh, and then after that, there'd be another TV episode after that. Another... So I'd end, but then there'd be another one, and then another one, and then another one. And then there's like, and then I'm just thinking about it, it would never end. Just, uh, it would, that would blow my mind. And so that, those, I think those two were more kind of like significant in my thought of spirituality than the Catholicism. I, I thought you were get, like measuring it out and like going, okay, my life is in half hour chunks. My half life is in sort of uh, friends. No, you're sort of saying that each individual pro person is a program and you're just going to get one after the other after the other. Yeah. After I'm gone, then there's another thing. And then like basically a season of a show finishes, but there's loads of others again and again. And then you just get lost in this time. But it never ends. It's just like you think, OK, when's, when's the what happens next? What happens next? What happens next? It's just nothing. You, you can't say what say that it, well, basically it's always something's going to happen next in my head mm. and just thinking about that just trying to think of like but then then i die and then and then it keeps on going but then what am i doing and where am i and what does that mean and what am i going to be doing because of course mm. that's going to be mixed in with the catholic thing you're in heaven yes like, flying around doing nothing for, or whatever you're supposed to do for the rest of eternity so yeah yeah Thank God how great he is. And then I had to just stop thinking about it because it just did my head in so much and just go back to try and make some money. <laughs> it's given you. And then what, and like from looking at religion, what would you say that is the, like a part of it that you think the secular world would do uh, best to learn from? What's one lesson that you think people could take from religious practices? Um, so uh I still go to church. Well, I still mm. used to go to church when we were allowed to go out, and um, because my my kids are Catholics. Well, my daughter's a Catholic, so at the moment my son was. Um, and to be honest, the thing, the two things I really I get out of it is a some kind of quiet time on a Sunday. It's just mm. like it feels like a ritual to go there. Yes. And I, to be honest, I don't listen too much to what's going on. I just like the kind of quiet space and maybe a bit of singing. Um, and the other thing is, is just the community aspect, just being yeah. able to uh, meet people, say hi, eat a little cup of tea afterwards, have a chat, just even just connect with strangers now and again, or mm -hmm. and people you know, uh, just check in. Is that that's feel kind of grounding in a world when you feel like you're always trying to do something new or something better or something bigger. I also think there's something in the like tradition. I, I don't know. It, exactly what type of catholic church uh, it is but like most of the british ones aren't like some evangelical church where you're in each other's lives and you're sort of really part of a community in a way which is a lot more full-on there's like an anglican tradition which is a bit more you see someone over tea and that's the sort of level of connection that you've got and but there's something really rich about just feeling that you're part of this web and that each one of those connections doesn't have to, you know, you don't have to know exactly what's going on in someone's life mm. uh, to, for it to be really rewarding. There's a strong sense of belonging, I think, mm. when um, when you kind of like, you know, you all know the rules. I know the rules, you know the rules. You know, these are the rules we're working towards. Yeah. Okay, I'm here. We all kind of vaguely know exactly what this whole game of life is about. And so there's, I think there was that aspect of it that feel like, okay, I know how the world works based on these rules. Mm. Um yeah, I think the other thing is like the church I go, there's like those two types of churches, I, 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 well, three types. The really boring ones where it's just some guy droning on and you don't really understand, just reading basically monotonously from the Bible without really applying anything. Oh my God. Um, then there's the, the kind of more political, savvy kind of priests who kind of bring it in, get a bit intellectual, but they somehow kind of bring it to some kind of modern context. And then there's a really mm. chilled out priests who, who don't really care that much about. Yes. <laughs> but they just want to make sure you're, you know, nice people. They just want to chat to you. They, they, they're people people who mm. actually just know, you know, we had a priest who just knew all the kids' names, all the parents' names. They'd ask about your, you know, your, your parents. Uh, and that, you know, that kind of, that was the kind of church I really enjoyed because you felt like they, you were seen. 
and and someone cared. James, what do you think about Carlos's suggestion that the sort of more intellectual uh, ministers and clergy are essentially not as nice and not people? <laughs> like, what did did they teach you about that when you got your doctorate at Harvard? Uh, they did. They they actually had that hierarchy of different types of priests. That was part of my training. And they they tried to make us into the more intellectual type. They they actually discourage us from learning the name <laughs> in my tradition. No, I, t- I totally hear what you're saying. There's something really powerful about being, as you say, seen and connected with other people. And that's something I learned from some of my colleagues, particularly a rabbi I know here in St. Louis, who I'm not Jewish. And so the ritual elements, I like the music and all that stuff, but the ritual elements don't have that same meaning for me that they would have for a Jewish person. But the sense of community is so strong and the warmth of the community. Mm. I go and a lot of the Shabbat service, which is like three hours long, it's just the rabbi calling out to different people saying, oh, and you had a child and how are you doing? And it's just this sense of palpable connection between people that's lovely. James, I loved it that when you were talking, uh, a phone rang in the background, probably one of your parishioners, and you ignored it. And I think that really brought home yeah, the yeah. message that uh, we're, we're, we're sort of Well, in- what you don't know, is that we have a ghost at the Ethical Society of St. Louis who occasionally rings the phones, and we don't know why, and we don't know how, but it just that we get that single <laughs> ring occasionally. I'll introduce you as someone who leads an accidental vicar, like go and tell our listeners what the happy startup school is all about and like how you ended up doing it because it is a community that I love being part of. I'm just such a huge fan of the work you've done. And I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna have to stop saying how much I like it so that I give you a chance to talk about it, but it's really hard because I like it so much. So over to you (laughs) and see Tom. It's I say accidental community because it was basically born out of uh, a need to find other people who were running businesses at the basic level, but didn't think just purely about the business and about business growth. Mm. So my, I was my uh, so one of my old school friends and myself, we started the Happy Startup School. It must be now it's 2012, uh, and I think well the core of it was. We were looking, well, Lawrence particularly, my business partner, um, he was looking to do something different with mm. the work that we were doing. And so we were running a digital agency at the time. And we were working a lot of, with a lot of startups. We'd kind of transitioned from just making websites to actually building platforms and apps and, and just investigating more about the business side of things. So if someone was coming to us with a website, it wasn't like, oh, we're going to build something for you and it's going to look pretty. It's like, all right, why is it, why do you want mm. to Who's it for? How's it? How's it going to work uh, for you, your customers, and your business? And a lot of the time, people would come saying, um, "Just this is it. Build it for us, please." Uh, and we would spend a lot of time just asking why, and really asking mm. actually why do they want to do it? And that wasn't great for a business because it was a lot of unpaid work telling people <laughs> to do maybe something completely different because their idea is rubbish. So we thought we needed a space. And uh, an opportunity to teach these new, a lot of them, the kind of first-time entrepreneurs, how to think about this idea of building a business uh, from a very um, a lean approach. You know, the lean startup approach is like trying not to try not to plan everything too far in advance. How to test your ideas before you actually spend too much time and money actually investing in building the business. But the flip side of it as well, or the other side of it is like myself and Lawrence, we never went into business to make lots of money. We kind of like fell into business because we wanted to work with each other because we it was fun. We wanted to do work that was actually interesting to us. In my case, it was like uh, programming. I just like making mm. stuff and solving problems. Lawrence liked designing stuff. Together, we could just build about anything. And also, we wanted to just work with people we actually could connect with and enjoyed working for. So just working for ourselves meant we had that choice. It wasn't when, like I was working in an agency, we'd just be here to hand the project and whether we liked the person or even knew who they were or not, it was just about building to spec. So in this case, it's like building some kind of connection with the clients, but also understanding why they're doing what they're doing because we were doing stuff because mm. it made us happy. So that all kind of culminated like, we needed to teach people how to build businesses in this kind of digital age where it's very much uh, an uncertain world where you can have all sorts of new ideas, but whether they're good ones is is up to other people to tell you rather than you. Mm. 
but also why are you doing it? Is it because it's just about the money or is it something that makes you happy? So we need to build a startup school to teach us, uh, particularly our clients to do things in a way that we could then help them properly, but also we wanted to make it about happiness. And so that's where I started this whole idea of the happy startup school. It started very much in this world of um, thinking about happiness and the science of happiness. And Lawrence was really looking into that at the time mm -hmm. and marrying that with startup strategies. Now, as we went more and more into this, um, the other aspect is we, we were starting to meet people who actually resonated with our ideas about business. Because when we mm. were going to a lot of business events, the conversations would be very much about I don't know, how are you growing? How much money are you making? Who's your next big client? Have you won any awards? Or it'd be like looking over your shoulder, looking to the next person who's going to sell to you. So that really did not appeal. So through this journey, we started meeting more of these people. We started actually thinking, okay, how can we bring more of these people together? And uh, Lawrence had a dream of kind of doing some kind of like festival type thing. Mm. Uh, and we thought, okay, why don't we just start bringing to people together at our events, things that we wanted to do and get, get stuff out of it that we wanted to get out of it rather than trying to look for other people's events and see if we could get that from, from, from them. And that's where our first, and this is where um, Sanderson comes in. That's where the summer camp came about. And it's really from that, I think where that, when people really got together in this really, uh, this space is kind of detached from the world of work and even their own worlds where they could actually be themselves or work out who they are really are, that you start to get this sense of, oh my God, I'm not alone thinking differently about work or feeling that there's something wrong here, but I'm not sure what it is. And mm. I think it was that kind of common space of just not knowing, uh, not knowing what, what I wanted, but at the same time feeling like actually uh, there's a bunch of others who are kind of in the same space. I think there's got so much stuff in, in there about like actually when you're starting out on this journey, particularly if you start to look at the bigger questions in, in life about why you're doing stuff is that, you know, if, if you do it well, obviously the place you're getting to at the end, you had no idea even what it is at the start. And that's obviously true with every business, but I think it's particularly true of the ones which like got like in a reflection, you know, at the core of it. And um, man, I remember that first happy startup summer camp. It was just like, it's James, you would absolutely love this thing. It is uh, people go away for three, is it three nights? And it's at this beautiful farm, various different farms in Sussex. One of which had to be got at like, Oh my God. They had to like find a three venue weeks. in three weeks because the people who they'd done it with for five years in a row had forgot to write it in the calendar Whoa. And, they, and they had to find a like a huge like wedding venue plus 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 in three weeks i've never spoken to people who are more stressed and rightly <laughs> with, with every reason to be stressed but it's just this like wonderful little slice of business being done in a way which feels really uh like, like feels so different and and I think it also points about like why particularly this edge we're all sort of split up but also the magic of events uh James I was just wondering if they're like what are the things which have been resonating with you when uh Carlos was just talking about that journey yeah Carlos you're talking about how these kind of conferences conventions are not really very satisfying not giving you what you wanted and so you kind of wanted to create something that sounds more like a community of people where relationships are prioritized is that a fair description so so what what sort of things do you do yeah yeah i was going to say so on that so one way someone described it to me one time is like a cross between it's like the love child of ted and burning man and i think mm. it was a combination of people giving talks you know there was this idea of like oh, how can we have someone who can First, it was well, maybe it's a, it's a talk about a topic that's going to be interesting. You're going to learn in inverted commas, but actually it's evolved into actually stories. What, how can we have people who can come and actually share some a story that's really going to touch people as well as learn something? I remember that first one when you were like going, and this is how you do UX design. And this <laughs> is the sort of font you've got. And nowadays, this person wouldn't be anywhere near what you do unless it would be like, and I was saved from living on the street by noticing the fonts in the coffee shops. And that's how I started coffee fonts are homeless are us or whatever it might be like. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's changed so much. And I think that's because we, we, I think when we started, there was, because this is the challenging thing. 
uh, with running an event that's not quite, particularly at the start, which is not, it doesn't have a, a place on the map and it's slightly mm. a bit different. People want certainty. They want to know if I'm going to come, what am I going to learn? Yes. What does I want to get out of it? Yeah. So you can't sell. Well, it's just a bunch of people and you're going to get to know them. Maybe make some nice friends and you're going to hang out. I'm not sure if you're going to learn anything, but it'll be good fun. As opposed to, oh, we've got to talk about design and we're going to talk about starting a business and we're going to talk about like business models. I mean, we talk a little bit about philosophy, but you know, you're going to you know come away with some tangible benefits. Um, and also, I think there was that at the beginning, we we weren't 100% confident. A, we weren't 100% confident with that idea in terms of like just turn up and it will be fine. Um, and also, I think we hadn't we hadn't created the confidence in others because of that. And we were still trying to work out what it was, I think. We were still trying to understand mm. what was this thing that, that we were trying to do. So in a sense, there wasn't 100% clarity, but there's a clear need to be among other people that, that didn't think of business purely in terms of numbers. And that's what we're trying to explore. How could we do business that wasn't, that wasn't just spreadsheets and cash flow and, and legals? Uh, and actually talk to the fears, the hopes, the desires, the dreams, uh, the tragedies, um, and, and and the feeling that you don't have to do it on your own. And, and you can, actually, you can do it on your own. You could be a business person, run your own business as a person on your own, but still be mm. with other people. How did you settle on stories as the thing that people shared? Because that immediately struck a chord with me because all of our work, I always tell my people religion is just a story. Mm. It's just a set of stories about how to live life. And if you can't tell a good story, then you don't, you don't have a, you don't have social movements. You don't have religions. You don't have. So how was that kind of transformation of the idea from skill sharing to story sharing? I think, I think it's just a gradual emergent, approach i think the we the more well having done the first summer camp and then meeting really interesting people who then had some really interesting stories to tell we were discovering more and more potential speakers who weren't just purely about learning some kind of skill um i think the other aspect of that is just being able to have uh, something to show from the previous camp so when we had like videos, we had testimonials, mm. we had like um, clips of talks. So we didn't have to lean so much on the content as much. You could, we could wean ourselves slightly off and just present the story of the experience. So I think that then allowed us to be a bit more free with the, with the talks and how the talks, which talks we wanted to invite to the speakers we wanted to invite to talk. And I think also it's just that thing of like being in the room. I remember, I think it was in the first year when uh, Ruth Anslow, she did this talk about her transition from, you know, uh, leaving her uh, her normal like corporate job to sort of starting an ethical supermarket. And like the ethical supermarket bit, I could just can go like fall off a cliff. It was like the stuff about talking about grappling with her fears. And you're like, and just that feeling in the room of it, you're like, Okay, now this is the this is going to be what people remember. This is going to be what like connects and what people get from it. A woman's going to ask you to to do two pitches here, or even like, but uh, not even a pitch. But like, what is it that you know? If someone is a bit, I always like to imagine someone is a bit cynical about this stuff, thinking, oh yeah, but what does the world of business have to do with spirituality or personal development or whatever else it might be? Like, so. So yeah, what is that connection? Why, why is it important to be a business hippie? I think it all depends on what you're looking for, really. Um, I, I would say what it, it, it comes down to, and this is why why it comes down to spirituality. Is what, what's what's the point of it all? You know, why why are you working? Why are you accumulating money? What is it that you're trying to achieve? And and if it's like financial wealth and status, great, fine. If that's your bag, go for it. And then what? And I think is that. And then what is the, is the, if someone asks that question, I think that's when you, we got a way in yeah. uh, or is this it? That's the question for some people. I don't think so. for me, <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Uh, at some point, well, it's, it's always been like, okay, well, um, why am I essentially not maybe seeing my kids spending enough time with my friends mm. uh, awake 18 hours a day, slogging at something to achieve what? 
okay, I achieved the big exit in five years and maybe get a nice return from selling out my company. And then what? And what have I lost? So what cost is that? has that journey been? And how important is the stuff that I lost to me? Mate, how much, like nowadays, when I see all that fucking Silicon Valley stuff, and I know the tide has really turned on it, like that standard basic entrepreneur shit about like what you want to do. And James, I don't know if you're in this world as much about like, you know, people who, uh, you know, you want to go and get your pre-seed investment of about uh, like 100K at uh, 8% and then you're going to go over here and then you're going to, if your business isn't working, you know, just pivot it into something totally different. Uh, And then, uh, and then you're going to go and get this round and that round and, like, I don't understand most of the words you just said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, there's this, that, so there's this whole world of which has got this idea about what the purpose of business is. And that is like, for instance, if you don't start a company which like exits, like goes public or gets bought for a billion dollars, you shouldn't even try. And there's this idea that startups are the way to change the world. I'm thinking that they are one of the most dangerous ways of tackling social problems that exists. You get a load of socially unconscious, often sort of like slightly emotionally stunted for a whole host of reasons, people. And then you give them a way of uh, changing the world, which is a startup handbook, which has got nothing in it about morality, really. Uh, nothing in it about like thinking about positive change. Oh, well, it's all like creative disruption. Doesn't matter if that industry disappears. Uh, nothing in it uh you know about like your own purpose and then you go and pile billions of pounds into these technologies which can scale quicker than anything and you expect there to be good results i mean no wonder that like facebook isn't a fucking accident it is what happens if you pour that much money into a system which is like morally blind Sorry, that's a, that's been on really? my that's been on my chest for a while. Was there, was there a question really... there, Sanders? <laughs> no, it wasn't. I'm just really, I just I'm like having been in and around the startup world a fair bit. There's things just so much bullshit, and it drives so much change, and it and it is dangerous. So it's probably the answer to my question: Why should there be spirituality in business? <sighs> and breathe. Yeah, I I have a question in case (laughs) we need one, which is, I guess I'm thinking I love the focus on meaningfulness in work, which I saw coming out in all the materials on the website and what you've been saying about asking the bigger question of is all my life about making money or going to work or whatever it is. That's a really great question that everybody should ask themselves at some point. But some of us have a lot more freedom to ask that sort of question than most human beings have. Like most human beings, they don't really get to choose where they work at all, honestly. Mm -hmm. They just do the job they have to do to make enough money for them and their family to live, and that's it. Mm -hmm. So I wonder whether there's a sort of potential, I don't want to, do you worry that it's elitist or that it's only for a very select few people who have the freedom to kind of think about how they live in this way i think so that's a really interesting question Uh, it's a privilege it's definitely a privilege but i don't think it's an exclusionary privilege i don't think it's like oh we can have it and you can't but it's also uh important for us to realize that we have the space and the freedom to think this way should we waste it just because someone else can't does that mean i shouldn't and i should feel guilty about it and so uh, even talking to what Sanders was saying about you know, these scale-up um, startups, if there is a way that a business like that can raise the bar so that someone doesn't have to work into a factory, there is a way of making value that doesn't rely on human sweat and tears. And then that is repurposed, that money, that value is repurposed to allow more people to benefit from the extra time and again we can maybe talk about universal basic income or how can we redistribute wealth in this way that that actually makes sense for for the world i don't think jeff bezos has got enough money that's the other thing (laughs) and i want a punitive tax on the people in the bottom 25 percent 
mostly so that Jeff Bezos can have an even bigger spammy forehead and so he can have more affairs and get his phone hacked more uh, in a situation that would mean where there are no good guys. Those people who then have to pay that tax have to work harder. And so they, they've, they're actually less burdened from the existential angst of having free time to think I about mean, the purpose of their lives. But I'd also beg James's question, uh, which is that we often say that, uh, oh, God, I think it's uh, only the middle class who can go and think about these issues. And then in uh, another breath, we'll go, well, I mean, religion is still a lot stronger amongst uh, people in uh, lower socioeconomic groups. And, you know, who are the people who are like going to these churches? Who are the people who are going to mosques? Certainly in the UK is people who are poorer and less educated. And so often the way that we're selling meaning or the way that we're selling ethics is like it's it's on we you know whatever it might be people who are you know uh, in like in the world of uh, sort of business and ethics or what have you purposeful business but in fact there's a load of people who are like i live in like, just moved to leytonstone like there's people who are very poor who spend a lot of their money on spiritual practices and find that their work is deeply meaningful because of the work that they do I think that it is a case of how you, and if you are a state where you don't, you literally do not have the time of day to think about anything other than putting food on the table for your kids, then of course, you know, there, there is a, there is a challenge there. And, and it isn't that they shouldn't be allowed to think about meaning and purpose, but the only purpose that they have at the moment is to keep themselves above the breadline. And so there's a certain level of a certain amount of cognitive capacity there that's that's that needs to be devoted to that i think but then there's a certain i think this is the interesting thing that people i believe you get to a certain point in material wealth and and sort of prosperity where you can then either ask yourself one of two questions do i want more of that or do i just want to now devote the time i have to something else to community mm. to service rather than to accumulate more and that's that's an interesting challenge, particularly in a society and now a broader influence from the internet around actually, you know, to be, to be better, you need to have a certain amount of money or to have a certain amount of influence. Mm. Well, I think that's a really good, a really good response to the question too, which is that even if it's the case that few people have the privilege or luxury of thinking in this sort of way about how they choose to spend their time. We still want those who can to think like that because we don't want people simply to pursue ever more wealth or success in business, something like that, either if it doesn't fulfill them, but also if it doesn't contribute as much to the world as they could be mm. contributing. It's better for all of us when people are more thoughtful about how they live. And I also, I agree with you, Sanderson, it's not, I wasn't trying to suggest that this is a bad thing to do. I just think it's kind of worthwhile being aware of how difficult it is to actualize these sorts mm. of freedoms. Because even in my own life, right, I'm super ridiculously overeducated. I have a job that I love. I'm a professional. I'm one of the lucky people who loves to get up in the morning and do my, or sometimes the early afternoon, to do my work. <laughs> and um, I, I really feel very privileged. And at the same time, I don't really feel like I have a huge amount of freedom to just do a ton of other things. You know, I don't, I don't think like tomorrow, no, maybe I could just decide. I think I need to come on your program, Carlos. Oh my gosh, what great prospecting you've done. The sea dog's converting. This is kind uh, <laughs> of the old flirt to convert trick that they teach you in as part of the Catholic catechism. <laughs> And, and you were the one, James, who started this, saying that you thought Carlos could be a model. It's the whole sort of package, which is really working together. Luckily, on the internet, you can't see how tall people are. So, the ah, uh, <laughs> oh, there we go. We're all back in the room. And so, one of the things that I thought it'd be good to like share again. This imaginary listener might be thinking, you know what? I've got to go and try to do something different and. Like you help a load of people who are in different stages on their journey to going and finding more meaningful work, you know, like in all manner of different situations. What are some of the trends you see in how people go and find that sort of work which really matches their innermost drives? Well, the trends. I don't know. I, I, I'm, 
I was trying to think about that. I'm not sure if I'm qualified to talk about trends because I, I, you know, my sample size is is quite small compared to all the people out there trying to find meaning. Carlos is a scientist, so he's <laughs> really fucking spoiled this question just by bringing up science. science. Now, now James is thinking, oh, this is what I've got to deal with the whole time. There's, um, for our community, at for least. your community. All right, there we go. Let's minimise <laughs> the impact of this question. The, I think because of what we're called and because of the things that we talk about, it is usually there's something not right in the way they're working at the moment you know they're not happy mm. you know they're not feel it, the experience of work and then the wider context of their life is not great you know there's something missing mm. and so um a lot of the time it starts with that it's just i i, I feel that there's something yeah. missing i don't know what that is and it's usually or i believe it's usually like i thought i should be doing this but it doesn't feel right, but I don't sure what I need to be doing instead. Mm. And then it, it's this then all of this opportunity of other things that I could do. And the questions are, A, am I allowed to do that? Because I've committed to certain things and my family and friends expect me to be a certain person. Mm. And B, if I do do something else, there's so many other, you know, so many problems in the world, so many people that I could help what do I do? And, and if I do do something, how do I know that's the right thing, whether A, it will work commercially and actually make the right impact, and B, is it something I really want to do? You know, broader, I think there is a trend of I want to do more purposeful work, which essentially means I want to make sure that I don't look feel greedy and I'm spending my time helping other people. Mm. How am I saving the planet? How am I saving, saving poor people? How am I doing something else? Which I'm not trying to diminish, but at the same time, it, it's sometimes skirting around the question of what do I really want? Huh. <laughs> really, re, what is it? Where is it that I can authentically use, my, feel like I'm using my time and energy and proclivities in the best way possible? I'm just going to stop you there because I think that's a really big point that is quite easy to skate over. Like why, in what way does helping other people on sort of like, clearly labeled important issues in what way is that can that lead people out of doing things that they authentically care about again it's it, it all comes down to who's telling you that that's the thing that it should be done if it's you if it's true and i feel like the most the kinds of people that i think are doing quite authentically purposeful work are the ones who are affected by the same problem that they're trying to address mm. and so they're trying to on one hand, they're trying to make sure that those people don't suffer the way they suffered. On that as well is making sure that you're you're doing it not because of just for you, but also for other people. So as, I'm going to get a bit complicated there. But ultimately, mm. I think the, the authentic part of it is it's your decision and you're clearly consciously making that. And it isn't because, oh, it's a great thing to do because lots of other people are doing or, hey, I'm just trying to heal myself through this. So there's a, there's a level of compassion as well as self-awareness, as well as I'm actually the best person to do this because I really understand what these people are going through rather than I'm going to fix this because by fixing this, I fix myself, which, again, I'm not sure if is a great way to, to look at doing impact in the world. Um, but the purpose side of things, the meaningful side of things, actually, maybe got to go back to, I've started to sort of unpick meaning and purpose because I mm -hmm. think... There is purposeful work that isn't meaningful for you. Mm. And there's something that you have meaning that gives you a lot of meaning, but doesn't necessarily serve any big purpose. So and the can, way you, can you tease apart those two just for us? So I can yeah. hear that there's a distinction, but what is the difference between, mm. so what's an example of work that is purposeful, but isn't meaningful to you and the other way around? Just so, so I the get example that I, I use or that i've basically embedded in my head is uh, a teacher teacher is doing very purposeful works educating the future generation but they are feeling total lack of meaning in it because they're not given any autonomy they're not learning they don't feel mm -hmm. connected to their uh, staff or even to their kids and they don't feel like they're aligned to their values because they're not doing it in a way that they want to do it or they, it doesn't feel authentic mm. and so there's a really interesting book that I read, which I, it's kind of got me in this thinking called The Map of Meaning. And it's a way, it's a, it's a framework for talking about meaning. And it's about uh, integrity with self, uh, connection to others, service to others, and personal growth. 
for mm. becoming achieving full potential. And so these are four quadrants of this map. And that's is if that's a way to talk about meaning or structure to talk about meaning that is uh, separate from and how does it benefit other people or what you know what's the purpose of it or you know how are we changing the world it's really how does that feel do i get a sense of meaning from doing this work and that's where i start to separate it in terms of like um understanding what is meaningful for to me i on this map i'm i feel like i'm getting a lot every each of those segments is come address or these each of those elements are addressed and i'm doing something that has an impact beyond my own personal gain that's really helpful thank you i sometimes find myself wondering usually i have a very secure sense of both the, the personal meaningfulness and the kind of impact the purposefulness of the work that i do but sometimes i find myself thinking well are we really making a difference, right? I'm enjoying this. Everyone's enjoying this. Everybody feels like the community we're building is valuable, but are we really making a difference or am I really just kind of promoting liberal values to people who are liberals and that, that it doesn't do anything beyond those walls? And that's when I start getting worried about whether I'm doing the right thing. So I see that distinction and I sometimes feel it inside myself. So that's very helpful. Thank you. I also think that this is exactly the sort of thing which you help people with, which is that feeling of like, I've got to do the thing which has got maximum impact, which is in a way uh, the flip side of I've got to do the thing which gets maximum money. You know, they are, they're not a million miles away. They're you're like, measuring yourself against this, you know, you're measuring your success against this external thing that's happening. So always and yeah. other people particularly yeah. other people that's my thing <laughs> well that's really healthy that's what you get to later because often well at the happy startup school they're like people compare themselves against other people but not enough you've got to get to know yourself spiritually and then you can truly compare and it's once yeah. you really know yourself you can make yeah. yourself feel truly using the right yardstick then yeah. 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 yeah i hate yeah. it Whenever my friends publish a book, I'm like, oh, fuck you. I really, I'm like, I'm typing out on the Facebook through gritted teeth. You know, can you have gritted teeth on, Facebook, on the keyboard? Congratulations for the publication of your recent fucking book. Well done. God, I hate these people. I hate my successful friends. So uh, what's going on there in the, uh, because that sort of points to the, like one of the things which people have to go and surrender in some of this work is that it's not just about doing the most meaningful thing and then getting like then all these other things which will then put you at the top of the tree it's actually i think this word surrender is really interesting in terms of growth and realizing that you know actually that we've got to give away bits of ourselves and some of these external pressures and when we surrender that like external pressure then we've also got to probably surrender that life that it was pointing us at and so yeah there's just a lot of peeling away that we have to do which can also go and mean that we end up losing identity along the way which is obviously why it's such tricky work uh, for me that links to this i'm going to say illusion that we are in control of our our lives and our world uh, and i say that not in the sense that, you know, I can pick something up. I'm in control of that. But I believe oh, look at that... this guy picking things up. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Carlos oh. with the big, big Mr. Pickup over there. Oh, oh that's another podcast, I think. Uh... <laughs> no, this one. What happens is that is that nine-tenths of the way through, this podcast really swerves, and we just talk about negging and PUA stuff. And it's people find it jarring. I was going to tell you straight up with huge amounts of complaints, but we've had some negative reviews. Yeah. 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 Which actually makes us like that person more. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, um, right. Derailed. Uh, <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> but the whole, I'm really curious about the surrender bit because mm. it's something I struggle with. It's, um, I, I am wedded to this idea that I plan, uh, I'm a, a master of my destiny, I can manufacture my future, uh, you know, if I, and very much, if I, if I get the grades, if I do the hard work, if I, you know, make sure I do the regular Instagram posts, 
I will, you know, consistently, if I consistently turn up, I will be successful. And I believed in that. And I still do to a certain degree. I believe if I always turn up, I will be successful. But not But I think that what I'm coming to uh, grips with is not necessarily in the way that I thought I'd be. Mm. And so this thing of like life being a, a set of bricks that you pile on top of each other and at some point you're done. I think it's, it's, it feels like actually sometimes the shit hits the fan or you can do something that could be innocuous that actually blows up or you can spend loads of time doing something really hard and it never goes anywhere. And in that sense of like doing something purposeful and impactful, it's like, how can I actually live my life? And maybe I only impact two people in the world mm. for the good. And that's fine. And someone might impact a million people and that's fine. But just because they impacted a million people and I only impacted two people, but both of our intentions were the same. Do we, are we, are we, is one more successful than the other? Is one better than the other? And so for me, the, that whole thing about surrender is like, actually I can do whatever I can do, but I also have to surrender that I might not do the thing I think I wanted to do or make the impact I did want to do. But as long as I'm working with some level of authentic intention and I'm turning up with, with the real need or want to do something, and, and be happy with that and being happy with that agency rather than feeling like, oh, if I don't, if I don't impact a million startups to think of happiness as their business model, then mm -hmm. I've failed. But you have in a way. Uh, <laughs> the, but but uh, no, obvs, not. Uh, the, but then I think that also points to this, like surrender is suddenly we're speaking in language which is very far away from traditional business advice, traditional startup advice. And... You know, there is a, you know, whole world of practices of, you know, creating space in yourself of trying to find your ground of uh, all the, the ground of your being. And even saying this stuff, it's quite weird that I'm now becoming more comfortable about saying it. But even as I say it, I'm very aware that for a lot of people, this language is very far away from like, normal stuff you talk about yeah so like how do you go and try to communicate about this stuff in a way that doesn't put people off or like do you just keep it in the back later on and people step on it a bit like sort of finding out there's quite a few more levels of Scientology like how can you find that balance in language I wouldn't use the term balance in language I think and we talked about this at summer camp a few years ago it's, it's the idea of meeting people where they're at and mm. using the right language appropriate to where they are. Uh, and I think this is going to talk to what you were saying before, like people who are starting out on the journey of startup to the people who are exiting a business and thinking about what next. There are going to be different things that they're going to be aware of and there are going to be different, different concerns that they'll have. And so the way I would think about it, on a day-to-day -day basis, when you're running a business, a lot of the things will be surrender doesn't necessarily come into it much it's like you know i just we're just doing a course now on pricing to get that out i couldn't just let the universe suddenly bring me customers i still had to bug people still had to sell i still had to market i still had to put the word out. i still had to physically shout about this thing still had to put the time and effort in order for people to be aware i still had to somehow tell the story of what we do in a way that people understood but still with the awareness that maybe all of this work and I won't get all the people I want and mm. and just because I don't get the full cohort of people I want on the course I if I'm not if I'm unattached to that goal but I'm just enjoying the work if it win works or not that's fine if it works great make the money that's good if it doesn't work well I don't make as much money but I'm still not so disheartened that I won't do it again and so for me the the deeper sort of question about, all right, what is this all about? Or how can I have the energy to go on? Is when I think you, you hit the road bumps or the speed bumps and it doesn't work. And then you think, you question yourself, okay, how, how do I get the energy to move forward? At what level of thinking do I need to be? Whether I think of actually I failed because I didn't do this the first time or actually this is just part of that never-ending journey of fuck me is like infinity and i'm just going to keep on going and and i don't have it isn't like a finite game i lose now and so i've lost forever it's like i carry on it's no you know it doesn't have shouldn't have an effect on 
intention or my motivation to keep on going because I'm not motivated by the money or the status. I'm just motivated by what can I do in the world that feels energizing. That's a wonderful answer, marred only somewhat by your mention of finite games, which has, <laughs> got, <try> to... <laughs> which has got its uh, little uh, pally companion, Infinite Games. And I read that book because uh, you might have written about it or spoken about it. And I really did not get it. It was that, like, to my mind, the classic word soup sort of book, which uh, goes and has got things which sound quite nice throughout it. But uh, I should say what, James, I think I, I'm reading that book makes, uh, made me feel how you feel often when I talk. I'm just being <laughs> like, I just need a bit more rigor here. Yes, uh, a bit yeah. more rigor. <laughs> but you, uh, no, I never feel that when you no, talk. So I'm so. setting this up with a com comedic uh, uh, adversaries here. Uh, the, I, remember, I have um, a question. I, yeah. I I wanted to ask because we've talked a lot about the component of the startup school and the summer camp that's about helping people find ways to because you've got these these three components right make money be happy do good mm -hmm. and we've talked about how people sometimes focus too much on the make money than to than the be happy or the do good but I think it's also possible that you know, some of us, and I might put myself in this category, right? I don't know how to make any money with my <laughs> skills, right? I, I feel like I've got a lot of marketable skills um, that I have a job that makes me happy and I feel like I'm doing good, but I would like to make more money. And I wonder whether, because sometimes I feel like I shouldn't really charge for my work because i'm kind of trying to help people spiritually i'm trying to help people philosophically trying to help them get to grips with this big thing called life it feels almost a little bit grubby to be like and that'll be 500 dollars, you know uh, and so how do you help people think do you run up against people like me as, as well and how do you help people think about that so this is something i'm trying to learn and understand myself for me well the first thing is like the idea that money's a bit grubby Mm. That's, that's the, the challenge is right there so that's that's sort of the basics that I like uh, what I've learned is our attitudes to money are it's based on our own beliefs and, and our upbringing and, and what we've been taught about money and so um, money in itself is neither good nor evil it just it is just this stuff that flows in and out of our lives based on the system that we're currently working in whether I get paid however many thousands of pounds for an hour talking to you guys, or whether many it's thousands, <laughs> many, many thousands, dear podcast listeners. We are, oof, we're investing in this podcast. Whether I get that for an hour's work or not, I, I shouldn't. That, the, why is the judgment around that? Why is that obscene? I think it's only obscene if I then hoard it, keep it to myself, and never give it away or, or use it to do something particularly nasty to other people. But ultimately, it's just a bunch of money that someone gave me. And, and the context is that someone out there had the money, valued what I was going to say enough or do enough to say, here, I, I'm happy. To me, and this is where it comes down to, the money is such a subjective thing. Someone might pay millions of pounds for some shitty piece of art well, you think I wouldn't touch that with a budge ball. I wouldn't use it to put in my toilet. But it's not to do with the money. It's to do with our own personal connection to that thing. And so if we're able to sort of detach our judgment from the money, then I think we'll be more free to uh, talk to maybe a billionaire who needs that spiritual guidance and be more than happy to give you a couple of hundred grand to say, just tell me the way. And it might take you a couple of hours or just a book. And then you could then maybe talk to thousands of people for free because they can't afford it. Or they'll give you some little bit of money because they want to feel like they're committed to this learning. It's exactly the same thing you're telling them. Yeah, I need to find myself a billionaire. <laughs> my eyes my eyes bulged at that idea. I love it. I love it. But I think that some of it is, I guess, a lack of confidence that 
how how much do I want to divulge on this podcast? People say vulnerability is good. So I personally feel when I listen to other people do public speaking or when I listen to like debates, I listen to a lot of religion debates online. I think I do that better than a lot of these people, but they are making a lot of money out of it. And I am not. Why is that? And part of it is I'm very reluctant to self-promote. I find it very uncomfortable. I don't like asking for money. I I do so many free public talks because people ask me to do it. And I'm like, sure, yeah, you're a friend or you're a friend of a friend or you could possibly be a friend in the future. You know, like I'll find any reason not to charge people. And I don't know why. And I feel like that's bad. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like I need counseling or something. I definitely <laughs> I need to go on this summer camp, don't I, Sanderson? Well, I just love seeing James just slowly, like it's like a fish who's just like getting a hook. <laughs> into Carlos's course and slowly just like shoving the hook in his own mouth. He's just like, yeah, I really just need to like, if only there's a sort of course on pricing. Is there uh, something that's, uh, <laughs> guys, you have people who are listening to the podcast. If these are any things you worry about, I know a guy with a course. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, well, I guess, and like, that's a perfect example also of something where you, think it's an issue about money but then you keep on pulling at that string and you know what is your relationship to money what's the story that you're telling yourself about money what what do you think money will enable you to do what do you think money prevents people from doing and it's got to be that sort of personal inquiry uh, to make my uh, colleague who lives in America feel comfortable uh, the uh, 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 you know to actually sort of understand it so that you can go and start charging people 10,000 uh, 10, pounds for a one hour coaching session, James, which I think would be very good value for your wisdom. Well, I think so too, but uh, it's just, maybe it's something about the, the scales involved. Like we recently, not too long ago, before the pandemic, a local church just down the road invited a world-renowned philosopher from Harvard to give a talk and do a workshop. And I happen to know the pastor of this church, and it cost them $40,000 for one day of that person's time. And it, it struck me, that was almost as much as I was making in a year for one day. And it struck me as so absurd that it was almost immoral. You know what I mean? And that's, hard, that's difficult for me to get over. Mm -hmm. I think so, it's also, sorry, I was just going to, but it's also different when it's a, like for some reason like it being a church is one thing like if you if you're going to go and speak to nike uh then yes, right. that's uh, a bit easier or coca-cola but you know once you get into the uh american religious capitalist complex <laughs> things do get uh a bit more complicated or maybe we should just look at this uh pricing structure for the sunday assembly <laughs> community and go oh yeah by the way when we said it was 10 pounds a month what we meant was it was 10% of all the pounds you get a month a month. <laughs> really make it a bit more, just make it a bit more tithey. Um, I was going to say, uh, this comes back to where I think you're talking about stories. There's a story about what does it mean to for a church to spend money on someone? or Not even spend money on someone. What does it mean for a church to spend $40,000? You know, what, there is a story around that. There's a story around um, what does it mean to shout about yourself? Um, there's a judgment in the story around that. And so all of these, the way I, I'm coming to understand it, are stories that we either use or discard. And I think um, with the church example, for instance, and I don't know, I'm just, I don't know what the motivations were for the church. I don't know how, how powerful or inspirational a speaker this person was. But seven out of if ten. The con Sorry? Seven out of ten. Seven out of ten. <laughs> So if the congregation or whoever he was talking to, if they all had a major shift in the way they looked at the world, I don't know how much is that worth individually? If you've got 40 people there, is that worth $1,000 each? don't know. $10,000. It's hard to say. But there's, a, there's a, a value attached to that depending on the person who's hearing it. And I think talking to Sanderson's thing about you know $10 or $10, in, a, in an ideal world, the way I'm seeing things is like we would pay different amounts for exactly the same thing and not bat an eyelid because it wouldn't be about 
the intrinsic value of a phone or a summer camp or a, a membership to Sunday assembly is what does it mean to me in terms of my value? Mm. I think the whole tithe thing is the, the classic thing. If I am earning a million dollars a year, then I give you a hundred thousand because that's what it's worth to me. And again, is it a tenth? Is it a half? Is it, I don't know, but it should be ultimately in an enlightened way of pricing. We all pay different amounts depending on what we believe is it okay for me without jealousy and without thinking we've been shafted because someone's paying half that I've paid. And that's for me, the core of the pricing thing and earning well or earning more is that actually it, it isn't up to me to say how much something is worth. It's up to you who's buying it. And to you honestly say, well, if I do this and if I talk to you, the change in my life is going to be over the course of my life, just immeasurable in terms of value. This is really helpful. I'm loving this conversation. <laughs> and uh, once again, James, please don't sound so surprised when we have interesting conversations <laughs> on the podcast and you, you, you really sort of perk up as though something uh, you've just sort of like been looking through a loom and then you found a, a gold coin in there and you went, oh, look at that. What a pleasant surprise. Is this? <laughs> well, it's normally a set. It's delight to not surprise. <laughs> the, uh, uh, Carlos, where can people, uh, where can people find more of you? And do you have a course on pricing coming up? <laughs> Oh, unfortunately you've missed that boat today. Oh. but you know uh, join our newsletter and you'll find out when the next pricing course is going to be um if you want to find out more about what we do go to the happy and that's the website um we have a blog if you want to read it it's uh there's a pattern here if you go to a happy dot link so a happy dot link forward slash read uh, you'll be able to sort of get to our blog. And if you go to a happy.link forward slash listen, you'll go to our podcast. Nice. <laughs> There's a pan here. And if you go to a happy.link forward slash watch, you get to go and see all the videos that we have of webinars and talks. You guys are always going to be ahead of the game. <laughs> Read, listen, things. watch. That's all you want to do. Uh, and uh, yeah, just like the happy startup summer camp. I cannot wait until it happens again. Yes. It's going to be so fingers crossed so uh wonderful and look carlos thank you so much for joining me in this it's such a pleasure to know you and uh speaking likewise, to you delight and uh well, look there'll be more of this thanks so much everyone for listening how's that there? so that's the first time you've met carlos what did you take from that combo Oh, I think Carlos is great. I think he was fantastic. I love so many aspects of that conversation. Firstly, just the story about how his idea for the, ha the Happy Startup School and Summer Camp evolved mm. when they discovered that it was the stories that were connecting with people and not so much the content about how to do things practically. It was the stories that helped build the relationships that help transform people. And that speaks so much, I think, to the work that we do. And I think there's also something, and because I've uh, been along for the ride the whole way through, it's that weird thing of, you know, trying to come at it with fresh eyes that actually they, they had no idea what they were building at the start and they thought they were doing this. And then gradually it has like, there's the stories, but that's, because it just got more and more personal. They're like the, the battles which you will face when being an entrepreneur. Yeah, like they're partly going to be about like what font to use, what color, graphic design, whatever it might be, pricing. But so much of that, again, when he's talking about pricing, it's about what's your relationship to money? What's your relationship to publicizing yourself? What's your uh, relationship to, you know, like this idea of success or charging, whatever it might be, it's, it's about inner work. Uh, as well right uh, I think that's so valuable for people because I think we often feel like a lot of our challenges in life are technical or intellectual or I don't know how to do something but really so many of them are personal they're about getting over our own hang-ups and if mm. you can if you can kind of do that 
then you can learn how to do something. It's finding the motivation and getting over your worries about it and things like that, which is often very difficult, I think. Yeah, the, uh, you know, the, the thing when you start to let people go and resent their own managers in different companies, they leave the manager and they go and do stuff on their own. They're like, oh, the manager who is me uh, turns out to be a really nightmare manager. Yes. Uh, like my own mind. Uh, the Well, uh, yeah, that was super fun. And uh, yeah, it's a real pleasure to... As a, that thing is really nice to introduce you to someone I know very well. And then by extension, uh, obviously, the rest of the community. So, uh, James, goodbye. And uh, I'll carry on wittering on for a minute. My pleasure. Always great to speak with you, Sonson. Bye. Bye. Hey there, that was uh, Carlos, that was James, and now it is the little wrap-up at the end. Uh, I'm doing this wrap-up in uh, a new place because I'm in the process of building the Lifefulness Studio, so it's uh, quite exciting to see it develop. Uh, I've got these now huge lights which seem overkill and also all of the lighting system this recording system is in the guest bedroom and I'm just going to think it's a bit threatening when people come to stay and they're going to sort of see lights and recording equipment around their bed they might get the wrong idea of what's what's about to happen so uh yeah I I love that uh, interview it was really fun and then uh, in lifefulness podcast land and if the lifefulness project land yeah things are going going well i uh, my adhd continues to uh, confound in ways uh, sort of big and small when i i went and checked i was feeling that like there weren't as many people who were joining the lifefulness groups as i'd really hoped and like there were people joining but i was like oh, i'm putting in a lot of work and then there just happened to be a problem with the page which meant that often it was really hard to see the payment page. So people were signing up, but then not being given the page where they could pay. What a... What <laughs> an error. It is sometimes really, really hard to uh, pay the Lifefulness Project money. Uh, the uh, I guess that is probably the... Uh, the better way for things to be if we were uh, bad at the community and uh, the uh, the content and uh, the the work uh, but then really good at getting money that would be uh, yeah that would be out of whack so uh, that's where uh, that's where we are uh, thanks so much for listening uh, we're continuing to uh, build the lifefulness project if you do want to get involved the aim is that we start in small groups but we really want to go and get a critical mass in the area so that we can you know build up from one small group to another to another until there are enough people in an area who can have their own sort of local in-person community we're still dedicated to you know building secular and inclusive congregations that's what the life on this project is all about so um yeah so there so there suck on it <laughs> yeah just suck on that <laughs> Oh, this is my favourite ending to the podcast. I think I'm going to do that every time. Just get to something, a nice, like, uh, inspiring moment and then just tell people to spin. So uh, thanks so much for listening. Thanks to our amazing guest, Carlos. Thanks to James for being wonderful. Mavs Shetty for editing this. And uh, also to Roman Rapak and Miro Schott for making the music that you're listening to right now.